Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. and the glasses back home. You can smash them now. Beckham has scored for England. After 128 years, Middlesbrough finally have a trophy to their name. Middlesbrough are heading for Eindhoven. And England are out of the European Championships. We'd be irresponsible not to say that this defeat will have ramifications. Yeah, but probably for Steve McLaren. Steve McLaren, born 3rd of May 1961 in Fulford, York. Steve was a midfielder spending most of his career with Hull City. He joined the club at the age of 18 and then had spells at Derby County, Lincoln on Loan, Bristol City and Oxford United before injury forced him to retire in 1992. As a coach, he's worked alongside some of the very best. Dennis Smith at Oxford United, alongside Jim Smith at Derby in that winning promotion to the Premier League and was assistant to Sir Alex Ferguson's time during that treble winning season. As a manager in his own right, Steve had enormous success at Middlesbrough, winning the League Cup and taking the club into European club competition twice. He won the Dutch League title and managed in the Bundesliga. And of course, he managed England. Welcome, Steve. Pleasure. My word. I can't believe we're sitting here like two 60-year-olds as we are. You're not oh, quite. Oh, yeah. I, I, know, I know you're nearly there. You can't <laughs> as anymore. As you approach 60, you start thinking, don't <laughs> you? Actually, you're looking well. And um, I was thinking when we were going to do this about what, a, what an extraordinary career you've had, all parts of this great game of football. And really, I was looking back, Fulford, where you were born, weren't you, in in Yorkshire and mum and dad and the whole ancestry was one of real Yorkshire grit yeah f- brewers and yeah miners and everything yeah. else that were there and you know you were blessed as I was in that when in many ways and that the younger generation will listen with interest I'm sure of this but they won't realize that our schooling and what happened with a thing called the 11 plus really made or broke a lot of people and you you, in a way, even at that age, knew your way round and your own mind, I'm sure, because you passed your 11+. plus. You could have gone to any of the schools in the area, but you went to one that was also good at sport. First of all, that was I think that was the greatest achievement my mother said I ever did. She said, forget about football and, and, and all that. Mm-hmm. She, she couldn't believe it when I passed my 11+. plus. That was Margaret. From a little, yeah, Margaret, from a little primary school, and um, off I was into the big world, so to speak. And yeah, I went to Nunthorpe, which 
as you say, you you're absolutely right. I looked at, the, and it was the one with the best sport, though the archbishops was the other one, mm. and we're always rivals. So, yeah, which one with the sport? And um, I picked the one that was the, right at the other side of town. Didn't realise that the only transport was a bus or a bike. Good bit of grounding actually. I I, I biked to school across York, fair distance. Nearly, uh, nearly every day. You know, I, I didn't realise that until it was mentioned before, and in a certain interview. And I thought, God, I must have been crazy. Oh, my parents must have been crazy to send me out on a bike in all kinds of weathers just to go to school. But it also gave you that bit of freedom. And of course, sport was such that you know you could stay at school afterwards and play a bit more if you wanted to, and and what have you. You know, I don't know. School in them days was great, wasn't it? We played everything at, uh, at Nunthorpe. So I you... played rugby, I played tennis, I played cricket, football, you name it, when many new sports were uh, introduced. Well, squash was another, I think. Yeah. Squash was... No, that was my. That was purely my uh, my father, who was a crazy squash player. Uh, you know, every Sunday I was playing football uh, with all the kids in the area on the local field, having a great game. Halfway through, mother would come, come on. Steve, your dad wants you. So what now? You gotta go play squash with him, and he would take me to play squash. I was about eleven years old. I always remember, and he got me into squash. And yeah, it it kind of hated it, uh, but I loved it when I was there because it was competing and it was, uh, and he kind of made it fun when he let me win, and uh, not so good when he let me lose. I'm not convinced that we learn that competitive edge in our personality. I believe some of us are born with it. Most definitely, from what I've seen, yeah, you you either compete or you don't. You either play for fun or you and uh, you know you're probably the same. You never play anything for fun, mm. nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing. I've I've never let my daughter. It's one been a bone of contention with friends. I never let my daughter ever win anything. Tennis, particularly, we played, and when she finally beat me, she knew she'd won properly. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm like that. Card games, anything on holiday, and and it's I keep saying it's a game of luck, it's a game of chance, it's a game of luck. It's no skill in it, you know. But the uh, the kids still kill me now. The boys and and the wives still kill me now if I uh, if they beat me at um, whatever game, yeah, whatever we play. It's it's a nightmare play, but it's something. Uh, and at times you hate it, but it kind of something that you need that energy that you need. I was reading as well that through your days with York boys and quickly played more than just schoolboy football for your school, you, but you were a midfielder, but you were quite small compared to others. Yeah. And, and that meant you probably had to do a little bit more competitive work too, didn't it? That you, they say that you were head and shoulders above with your skill, but you, when you were small, you needed to do more because at that age, physical players could just do what they wanted to yeah you're absolutely right you know I, I was ginger haired so I had that you know as they said then you know the Billy Bremner temper and um, I, and I and I did I was terrible lose a game under 11s I'd, I'd be crying you know losing a cup final or something I'd be devastated and so I was very very competitive and I didn't really think about size too much I just thought well that's how it is and uh um, and get on with it, and and that was our probably family motto. Was uh, yeah. Was your dad your mentor when it came to sport? There were, there were many many people, but I suppose I always looked at my father and thought he, he worked. He was a scaffolder and then a foreman, and mm. and he worked long hours. But he always came home at 
at five o'clock, tea on the table, um, have his tea, um, mother would take it away, he'd have a nap, get his squash gear ready and then he'd go and play squash all night. And he did that five times a week. When he couldn't play squash, he moved on to golf and, you know, and everything he did he became good at. And and uh, I did a, lots of psychological tests and um, one of the things she said was that, uh, you, yeah, you will never play anything unless you're good at it, unless you can win at it. And I thought, God, that's exactly right. So, yeah, if I wasn't good at it, couldn't win at it, I didn't bother. I said, no, I'm not being that. That's all. I'll play this one, which I'm mm. decent at. So, so they, and my dad would let me win, but then he would beat me and he would get me mad and things and... Uh, so I always had a, I always had a temper. I carried that right the way through, and I'm I'm starting to uh, mellow now. But it's taken a while. Late seventies, when you first at eighteen went to Hull City to play professional football. Had you done any apprenticeship before that, or not? Or was no, it... I went at 16, uh, sixteen when I left school. So academically, mm, okay. I lied to the kids about what uh, exams I passed and uh, how many I got, but they don't know. Um, so sixteen, I knew I was going to play football. So off I went, left home at 16, and and that was it. You know, I said to our kids now, you know, I left home at 16. I still look back, I left home at 16. I look at my boys at 16, and my wife would not let them leave home at 16. They're not capable of leaving home at 16. And they were, was at Hull in digs with, uh, with a Mrs Saunders who looked after me. Um, fed me and threw me out and I worked on and I was an apprentice for two years mm. doing that and doing all kinds of jobs and as I say, frightened to death to go in the senior dressing room but it was a great grounding Absolutely great grounding and uh, and one that you'll never forget for many reasons because it it helped formulate the other side of the character building that we got at school do you think even now, looking back at some of those that you've coached and some of those that you've seen from an early age come through, that there is a certain amount of gifted footballers who, when they get up against, for the first time, people that are as good as them, don't make it because they can't cope that they're no longer the best? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I was talking with Arsene Wenger a couple of weeks ago uh, and just asking him about about the kids now and the kids you know, years ago. And he said, you know, we tested them psychologically. We tested them. Can they come back from a disappointment, from a failure, from adversity, from a loan spell that didn't work or criticism from a coach or a bad game? And he said, that's what we wanted to instill in the kids at Arsenal. And I thought, God, that's absolutely right. Because that was it. It was... Oh, well, you felt it wasn't a good game at that. Well, you got criticism. Well, you weren't dropped in that, and yeah, and you get adversity every day in a football club, and you have to, as I say, sink or swim, and the tough get through it, I think, and the and the weak fall by the uh, wayside. That sort of natural selection as well, and uh, there you were, Hull City for an awful lot of your career obviously in, in your formative years six years in the first team 178 times you played for them did you really enjoy the game once you got into that first team what can you remember your first game uh yeah eight i do remember yeah just around my 18th birthday just realizing how tough it was i think it's another level on and think i'm doing okay in the youth team and the reserves and with my little team and uh joining in with the men it was hard because i was still 
then size probably I look and go well you know he makes his debut very slight very small ten and a half stone you know would never survive nowadays um, and I, I struggled to survive in them days uh, but survive I had to by by probably being smarter than I was uh, being tougher we used to play against real characters who like in cricket you know sledged you all the game didn't they yeah yeah uh, and let you know that and let you know that I, mean, I remember Terry Herlock at Millwall I used to hate playing against Terry Herlock at Millwall <laughs> you know he just he touched that ball son and he said she'll be oh, alright then I don't think I did touch the ball after that it was uh, it was really tough so you were at Hull, Derby, Lincoln, Bristol City and Oxford United where you finished your career. What, who were the different managers that you played for? I think uh, Mike Smith gave me the debut. He was a real nice, real nice manager, Welsh manager, and he was good. And uh, Chris Chilton was the youth coach. He saw us through in our formative years. I remember Brian Horton taking over and, and, and Brian brought a different edge to it. And I like that. He brought an edge in training, and I like that. Colin Appleton, I remember, was the first one who told me what my job was and coached me a little bit. We just played the game, didn't we? We just played the game. We got sorted out and learned along the way and little nuggets of advice from, from coaches, but not real technical and tactical coaching more um, get through the week Monday to Friday and Saturday let's let's give 150% here we go this is the battle yeah so it was interesting so you've you, you know you had a, as you've mentioned already a, a career at those five clubs and you always wanted to stay in the game it was injury that forced you out when it did did you immediately think I want to become a manager no 26 a bad back injury at Derby I had a year out with it. I was 25, 26. Started taking business courses and I thought, I'd better start looking at what else to do because I might not recover from this. That was the first time I thought, what am I going to do after football? So that got me thinking. Did my badges when I was at Bristol. But never, you know, just honestly just thought, I'm going to play football for the rest of my life. <laughs> it didn't really hit me. And um, I was lucky. I was at Oxford and, um, yeah, it was, it was Brian again. Ryan Horton again keeps cropping up. I was on crutches. Mossy was reserve youth coach. He'd moved up to the first team vacancy. Steve, take the uh, youth team on a Saturday, will you? I said, yeah, okay, no problem. So I went with the kit man physio. Did the kids on Saturday driving around the M25 in a rickety van? I think we played. I think it was Crystal Palace. I'll never forget it. And we were one 0 down at half time. We had this great left winger, Chrissy Allen quick as quick as anything and he wasn't doing it and I, it was annoying me I was going Chrissy you're quick as anything just knock it by him cross the ball knock it by him cross the ball get in at the far post shoot anyway second half we started knocking it by him crossing the ball 1-1 one, one. someone crossed he volleyed it in far post I remember it to this day 2-1 we won and all of a sudden light bulb moment and I thought oh I like this I can have it. It's competitive. I want to win this game. I want to beat that opponent. I want to beat that coach. But I also want to teach and I also want to influence mm. players. And God, just by a few words, I've influenced that player. So that was it. I was I was hooked and um, couldn't get me away from everything coaching for the next, well, 
I'm still doing it now. Talk a little bit more then about the 90s now, if we may. This is going to, on your way to the great success towards the end of the 90s in your coaching side of things. Dennis Smith, you were coach for him at Oxford? Yeah, Dennis was there with uh, Malcolm Crosby. Fantastic. Mm. The fantastic pair. Yeah, they were great. Loved them to death. Still keep in touch with uh, with Malcolm. And, um, yeah, all, all the managers that... Jim Smith was another one, sadly, no longer with us. But... Yeah, Jim was my first real breakthrough he gave me my opportunity at in, Derby wasn't at it? Derby yeah. in football and um, I used to serve him drinks whiskey whiskey ice and water after a game at Oxford because he'd always come down because he was local he always remembered the smile and when he got the job at Derby he said ah oh. I said well why did you pick me he said well you, you always got me a drink and you always give me it with a smile so I always say to coaches after that remember whoever you meet remember the smile I said, it can get you a long way. How did you, first of all, think then of coaching? There was the, the, the old-fashioned way things were changing and you were very open to learning all different types. I mean, you've already talked about psychology, which was something that you brought in. You also talked because you played so many sports. You knew that you could cross sport and understand yeah. and learn things from other sports. And you began to bring all this into your philosophy, didn't you? Yeah, I've... I, I, you know, I just went into coaching, wanted to be the best, wanted to be the best coach that I could be. And coaching is such, you know, I'm still learning now. I'm still you know, reading. I'm like a sponge on coaching. I just thought, this is fantastic. This is like, you know, going back to school, except I enjoy it. And and you're right. I just thought I've got to be different in some way. And um, I've got to give the players something different. So... That's what I set out to be, and it wasn't no no gimmicks. I read a lot of books on sport. I read a lot of books on American sport because I felt they were probably ten years ahead of us at, at that time. And what could I learn from that in terms of looking after players and giving them different things? And and uh, yeah, so I mean, we went to went to Derby, and Jim was so open minded, which I thought he wouldn't be, but he was, and he let us do psychology. Let us. You know, first fitness guy we had, mm -hmm. uh, sports science, we had massage chairs, we had team meetings, video, we had Prozone. We were the first people to do pioneers of, mm -hmm. of Prozone, which, um, you know, we're very proud of, even today. And and that's all down to Jim who allowed that, but he'd do anything, yoga, he'd do dance class, he'd, do, he'd think... Yeah, Steve, yeah, try it. Let's yeah, try it. You know, we've got to do some things different. You know, we had a lot of foreign players that, and that was coming in. Mm -hmm. How would you deal with foreign players? So I got a lot from reading books from America and how to deal with these athletes mm -hmm. and it stood me in great stead for uh, for the foreign players coming over and also for, for going to Manchester United because you're coaching millionaires. You know, and I used to think, oh, how do you motivate millionaires? Intriguing, fascinating subject. It's Manchester United as assistant to Sir Alex. How did that come about? God rest his soul, Bob Cass. You remember Bob oh, Cass? Bob, yeah, the great northeast journalist. Oh, he was fantastic, wasn't he? I was at a dinner and he said, yeah, right. so Jim introduced me to him because Jim knew him well and... Jim said, you can trust him and tell him anything's all right. So I got chit-chatting. He said, oh, you know, Alex is looking for a, an assistant. I said, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, he says, you're in the frame. I said, I'll behave. He said, no, you're in the frame, honestly. He said, um, you'll be getting a phone call 
couple of weeks. Two weeks later, got a phone call. Sir Alex, oh, you want to be assistant? Of course. And, uh, you know, that was initiated by, well, Bob told me. Two weeks later, there it was, phone call. We're playing them on Tuesday, Derby. He said, I'll have a word with Jim. After the game, he had a word with Jim. Jim had a word with me. He said, I'll drive you there. Get yourself there. No problem. Um, he wanted me to go. He said, it's a great opportunity. Uh, met him on the Thursday. Joined the team on the Friday. We beat Notch Forest 8-1 on the Saturday. And Monday morning, I'm Manchester United in my training gear, wondering what the hell to do. And no one knew who I was. And the chairman even said, Steve McClaridge in the press conference. <laughs> That's I right, thinking the old Leicester City striker. Yeah, of course, th- thanks it? very much. <laughs> so I thought I've got a lot to prove here. No one knows who, uh, who the hell I am. So, you know, working alongside the great Sir Alex, he was really good as well, like I think all successful people are, knowing when people can do things that he wants and put it across better than he can. And you could do that as a coach for him. I think that was the key to it. And um, he had great experience, but needed younger legs around him. And that's what he did. He had Brian Kidd, myself, then Carlos Quiros, he had Mike Phelan. He got good people in. Uh, and only for a short time, in a way. But I think that was that was clever. You all did two, three seasons. Yeah. Him, you know. Yeah. Oh, God, I would have stayed a lifetime with him. But, I know, um, but it doesn't always work out. No, it doesn't work out. Um, but people ask me, well, what's his greatest strength? I said, well... I went in the first day and I said, Gaffer, what do you want me to coach? What do you want me to do? You know, this is... What do I want you to do? He says, what did you do at Derby? And before I could get a word out, he said, that's why you're here. Whatever you did at Derby, go out there and do with this team. Brilliant. Give me a clean sheet of paper every day. And, and they were the last words he spoke to me about well, what I should do. Well, he didn't even tell me then. He just said, just go coach. Mm. You know, and it was never a, never a well done, never a, it just, but I thought if I'm, if I'm not doing the job, he'll tell me. Uh, so I must be doing the job because he's uh, leaving me alone. Did you ever feel intimidated by the great man or was he just always pretty fair? No, I think initially you're bound to be um, nervous, most definitely. You know, I can honestly say, I, you know, I, the first five months from the January to the end of May, I never slept a wink. I was up till two or three in the morning on the next session. What I'm going to do with the players tomorrow, make sure it's perfect, make sure it's right. Because if it wasn't, they would let me know. And it was a harsh, harsh school. And the boxes were even worse. It was a fight every day. We wanted to keep training intense, competitive. So I think one of my strengths was always keeping training at a certain level of competitiveness that was just on the edge. And occasionally that would spill over. And I never liked it when it was passive. I'd rather it spill over and try and deal and handle with that. So that's what I did. And it was a perfect... I think that was a perfect environment for, for, for Manchester United and the players because all they wanted to do was compete one against one every day. Never realised what a great dressing room that was. That many leaders in there, that many men, that many good players until we had the reunion in the summer. All the team came together. There was a couple missing, Roy, I think, and, and Giggsy, but the rest were there. And looking around that dressing room, I realised what a group of men Sir Alex had put together. And that day he did a magnificent speech to the players again before the game. It just brought back how strong that group was. Mm. Yes, talented, yes. 
but fiercely competitive and leaders in their own right but so many leaders on in one squad you'll never have it again when were you choosing the team for the weekend with sir alex or when was he telling you who he thought and how did you sit down and discuss because you were very much the man already by this stage he knew every team he knew every he knew everybody you know, he didn't need to look at games. He knew, you know, he'd we played these last year, five years ago. We had, you know, and, and he would always pick his teams about two or three weeks in advance. Right. I remember yeah. him going to Wes Brown and pulling him in and saying, why is he not playing today? He says, but we're playing Arsenal in three weeks. You get yourself ready for that because you'll be playing. And Wes went, oh, OK, so I went out. He said, he always kills Thierry Henry. He says, he's the only one who can deal with him. And he picked him and he played against him. And I thought, wow, you know, he used to plan in advance. And that's how he kept the squad relatively happy. No one was ever happy getting dropped and for whatever game. You had to be strong then, didn't you? Because players, uh, nowadays, they've got agents to do it all for them and they disappear and they let you down or whatever. But you had to stay strong, didn't you, as a, as a management unit? Because you, were, you knew you were dealing with great personalities, but you knew that they would come back more. Uh, and I think that's... You know, the modern game now, you look at players and if, if you know, you give them an answer and they don't like that answer, they'll go somewhere else until they get the right answer and then they'll go, oh, I like him and I'll talk to him more and I won't talk to him because he keeps giving me the wrong answers. Whereas at Manchester United, they wanted the, the right answers and it didn't matter if it was good news or bad news. Mm. They had to accept it. And and as the, long as you're straight with them, they get it, don't they? And look, brutal honesty... They were, the, you know, Jim had it, Sir Alex had it, you know, all the top managers in their own way of that ruthlessness, which you need at the top. You're always going to be a coach, but, you know, the the actual management itself, that doing the Sir Alex Ferguson job, you always wanted to do that. Was that always in your mind? Or I think it was just, just on a journey, and I think that's the next step. So I was always one from a very young, young age. I always remember going on a, a, a talk and saying the guy saying it's great you're coming on this talk because what you're doing is you're in that bubble you're in that circle and that's your comfort zone and he says you've come here and you've stepped out of it and he said and you'll go to another one and you'll step out of it again and then you'll go back in your bubble and he said the really truly successful people keep getting out the bubble out the comfort zone and expanding their comfort zone and I thought what a good analogy that is and I've lived by that principle since. So a lot of things I've hated doing, been frightened to death to do, but I've done it anyway. And eventually, over time, I've become comfortable with it. So a lot of things at the beginning I hated and couldn't do, was so nervous and fearful. Mm. Now, uh, second nature, what am I worried about? It was the next step. I'd done coaching. I'd coached with England as assistant with Sven. I'd Manchester United. You did the two in the combination, didn't you? Yeah, Sven? I did the two would... together. And what was that like going into a Sven dressing room and then going back into yeah, the Sir Alex Ferguson? Wow, ball? completely different. Just shows the different styles of management that that all work. And uh, Sven was fantastic. Mm. You know, he was, was so calm. Everything was so simple. And again, I mean, the key thing was for me anyway, like like. Like the gaffer, he let me coach. He said, "Oh, Stevie, we play four-four-two. That's the team. Go coach the team." 
one day I'd have 20 minutes defending and 20 minutes attacking. <laughs> so it was quite, it was simple, yeah, not complicated. And he kept it simple, which I think international football you needed to do. He was a really nice man, really polite, spoke with every player, gave him respect. And I, often, I remember once he was under such media scrutiny attention. We were playing one game at Wembley and I'm sat with him just before the game as they come out and we sit down. I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how many photographers were in front of us. And I looked at them all and I looked at Sven and I went, how much courage do you need to sit in that chair that you're sat in? Because look at the attention that you've got and all willing you to fail. And I thought, wow, you've got to have some courage to do that. And I say that a lot, you know, but people say, well, you know, what do you need to be a manager and everything? I said, you need courage. Mm. And the higher you go, the more courage you need. Mm. But you need courage. You need to take risks. And that's what I did. Still to come on My Sporting Life on Talk Sport. I remember Slavon Bilic wearing a beanie hat. And I thought, wow, beanie hat or umbrella? It's probably more English to go umbrella than a beanie hat. So <laughs> I thought, imagine if I had a beanie hat on. Because I thought, oh, he looks a bit ridiculous. Don't yeah. I look a bit better with it? Probably, obviously not. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My Sporting Life. On Talk Sport with Steve McLaren. Well, we'll talk more about England in a while, but let's talk about Middlesbrough, which was a success for you. You had a chairman there as well who perhaps made a difference, but it would be at Middlesbrough where you'd cut your teeth and where you'd win your first big competition. Yeah, he gave me a chance. He told me what the job was, the first interview. And Steve I thought, Gibson was Yeah, Steve chairman. Gibson was, was terrific. Yeah, and... I was going to go somewhere else. I was all ready to sign. And again, Bob Cass, 
he gave me a phone call and said, uh, you want to be manager of Middlesbrough? I said, I never thought about it. He said, well, Terry Venables is there, but Steve was looking for somebody else. Yeah, I'll have a chat. So I had a chat, liked what he said, and uh, signed the next day. We worked together very well, mm-hmm. and he was very, very good. He knew his football. He played as uh, amateur, knew what it was like to be a player, and understood that he would need to get out of the way when it came to managing, but he'd manage businesses, so he, he knew. And it was a, a fascinating relationship. All I really wanted to do was, I remember him saying, Steve, I want to win the first trophy. I want us to win a cup. All right, we're a cup team. I want us to win a cup. So I remember, you know, winning that that first cup, Carling Cup, and it, and and thinking, great, it's for him, you know. I know it's for the fans, hundred and twenty eight years, all that, but it was for him, and he wanted to stay in the background. I remember him pulling forward, saying, "Get on that field," and the players dragging him on the field and taking the glory and up on the players' shoulders, champagne all over him. It's mm-hmm something which I'll always remember and think yeah and when you achieve we we really do managers we'll we, all we want to do is slink off into the corner have a glass of red wine half an hour later we'll be asleep the 2004 that was against Bolton and a good win it was down at the Millennium Stadium wasn't it in those days yeah, so yeah. Wembley was being redone but that was so important we forget that but I mean, a lot of people talked in the the days before that of you know Newcastle and Sunderland and then there's Middlesbrough and with Middlesbrough, you know, they they came and, and people forget for a while they were more successful than both those other two northeastern clubs, yeah, you know. Which was and it was really important to the people on, on Teesside, I think, as well. And you understood that because of you weren't that far away from them in the whole of your life when you were growing up. Yorkshire's Yorkshire. Middlesbrough was always Yorkshire. And we're proud of being Yorkshiremen, as you know, for, for better or for worse. That's why I still live in Yarm. It's the only place I can go and get a decent cup of coffee without being heckled or ridiculed or harangued, as they say. And I can have a nice quiet cup of coffee and a cup of tea or whatever. And and speaking to them, we forget, don't we, how how good them days were. We forget. That was a tremendous five years, not just winning cup, but Europe. Your first signing was Gareth Southgate. Yeah, I'd learned that from Manchester United. Important to get a captain that epitomised what you did. And um, who you want to build your team around. And um, I had uh, Agiog there, poor Hugo, God rest his soul. And um, I remember we had Steve Harrison, and Steve Harrison said, yeah, take, take Gareth, put them together, they're the best two. They're the best two. What a pairing. You know, talking about keeping clean sheets, they were they were phenomenal together. You know, the, there was this extraordinary moment where you were able now to begin to get other players, dynamic players like Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank and others. That must have been a real pleasure for you that you were able yeah. to go out and get those guys. It was um, 2004, Carling Cup final was a breakthrough. Um, and it was a breakthrough, you know, not for Steve, for the fans, for myself, but for the team because... You know, and it also gave me the power to say to Steve, look, this is what I want to do. Um, to compete in Europe and the Premier League, we need a squad. We need better players. We need. So I remember let, having to let Juninho go. That was a, one of the toughest decisions of my uh, of my life because 
he came back to win a trophy. And I said to him, you, you came back to win a trophy, you've won a trophy, <laughs> now you've got to go. Yeah. Uh, I didn't go down too well, I wasn't too popular, but that enabled me to get Viduka and Hasselbank. Yeah. And eventually Yakubu and other players, Mendieto, Zenden. We had a hell of a team. You did. You know, real big players. That suited me. I liked that. It was a great team. It was full of character, full of men, full of leaders. And very, very difficult to manage. 4th of May, 2006, you become the England manager. Yeah. Peter yeah. Taylor, I remember, had been the sort of caretaker, hadn't he? Yeah, he had, and I think he had to return to his club or mm. something. And um, I remember thinking, well, I'd, I'd worked with him five years. I knew it inside and out. I knew the media, and I knew it was the job was all about, and I knew enough. And um, I thought I was ready. And i got to say, nobody's ready. Well, how are you not going to have a go at being the manager of your company? Yeah, a lot of people said, what are you doing, Stevie, and everything like that. But there I was again in that, you know, that circle and thinking, well, I'll step out and do it. I think I think the key thing that for me was that I was never, I was never afraid to fail. So I was always a risk taker and I'd always take on things which, you know, most people think, what are you doing that for? And I say, yeah, because I think, well, I think I can do it. I think I can turn it around. I'm still like that now. Yeah. And I thought, no, I can do the England job. I've, I mean, I've got five years' experience. I've worked as assistant. I know the players inside out. I know what Sven's been doing. I just need to carry that on, change it around a little bit, tweak it, and um, and keep it simple. And, and I think I didn't... I should have kept it simple, and I didn't. I complicated it, got into a bit of a muddle, Six, seven months, eight months in, I thought I know the job now. By that time, the damage had really been done. Mm-hmm. Um, went on a good run, thought I could get out of the hole, thought I'd got out of it. Looking forward to a tournament, just need a draw at Wembley, and we go and lose. If I can sum it up in uh, in a few sentences, that's how I'd do it. Mm. That was Croatia, wasn't it? Yeah. That was the Wally with the Rolly. Yeah, that was the one. What did your family think of that? Um, I don't know, never asked. I mean, many times we've been there and I remember one, we beat Andorra 3-0, come on, got lambasted. And uh, and I said, look, to the family, we've got a choice. I said, are you getting trouble at school? And everything, no, no, kids said, no, five boys, three boys, no, we're okay. So I said, all right, you know, look, you'd like to see your dad resign, I'll carry on. Oh, you got to carry on, Dad. you got to carry on. So I said, there you go. My wife was crying in the corner, but I carried on. So, so I did that, and yeah, they've they've had to be strong, and the kids still talk about it now, and they're fine. Mm. A good environment, good bubble in Yarm, good school. So they were kind of kept away from it. As I say, that's why I still live in Yarm. Did you guys there that night? I remember it so well. But do you think you just took the brolly without thinking? Yeah, I didn't think. Of course you didn't, did you? No, I didn't think. I didn't you know, think. I mean, you were, it was all action, wasn't it, at that mm. stage? I remember Slavon Bilic wearing a beanie hat. <laughs> and I thought, wow, beanie hat or umbrella? It's probably more English to go umbrella than a beanie hat. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, imagine if I had a beanie hat on. Because I thought, hey, he looks a bit ridiculous. Do I yeah. look a bit better with the brolly? Obviously not. But... You would have done if you'd have won, you see. That's the thing, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. It all depends on the results. So, As a good headline, though, 
I mean, terrible for you, but whoever it had been in the England, Wally with the brolly. Exactly, exactly. So it's lived with me and will live with me ever, uh, ever since. Well, it's a shame in some ways, but in another way, people will never forget you. And you did an awful lot of good still around that. We've got and plenty more still to come. I just would just sort of, if we could use that, that you've you've had your moments where people. As they do with all managers, but you've you've been a headline maker because you've put yourself out there, as you've said. You know, I'm going to give it a go. I'm I'm not just going to go and be comfortable. I'm going to do this for me, for my family, and everything. And, and you did it. So, you know, you had the other one, second choice Steve. People used to call yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I remember the first press conference. That was it. Welcome to the job. That was the first question. Well, you're the second choice, Steve. How do you feel? Oh, I thought, oh, my word, you know, this is meant to be a gentle one, isn't it? You know, an introduction, but no, straight in. Um, so, yeah. And there it, was, and was Andorra when you, yeah, I, I think you came in for two minutes and then went straight out again, didn't you? you could, you're going to write what you want anyway. Yeah, I just went in, you know, what was about the game? I said, I thought well, the first half was terrible. Second half, Stevie G took the game by the scruff of the neck, became the captain that he should be. Uh, we won 3 0. It's a great result. We move on. And what um, I said, well, I've said about all I want to say and, and walked out. Not that I thought it was the best idea. And then they caught me lip reading on uh, on the bus when uh, a newspaper reporter went in front and I told the driver to run him over in jest, as we do. But uh, no, lip read. And so yeah. it, in one sense, it was a bad experience, but it's something which, again, I stepped out of the comfort zone and... Mm. I can say, well, I've been through that, and I survived, and I'm still standing, and and I carried on, and I wanted to carry on and recover, which um, that was the most important thing for me. I don't mind failing, um, but I've always wanted to, right, come back and, right, what did I learn from that? Right, let's move on. What's next? Well, what was next was FC20. Yeah, I couldn't get a job in England. And then someone told me about this club in Holland. Never heard of them. Went to watch them. Thought, oh, I like that team. It's nice. Wanted the family to move. Couldn't find school, so I said no. Two weeks later, I thought, I should really do this. So I said to the wife, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm going to do it. And she was fine, very supportive. And, uh, and I did it. And um, yeah, it was... Anything as close as Manchester United and that dressing room, that's probably... Right. We had a strong one in Middlesbrough, I've got to say, but what a great dressing room again, yeah. full of men, full of experience. But you brought them again like you've done at Middlesbrough, something that they'd never achieved. Yeah, and uh, and to do that, I, I knew it was a good team. And, and to be fair, they taught me more about football than I ever taught them. Bobby Robson said, go on your own, Steve. You know, you love it. Coaches are great. Yeah, it was a great experience, and you know, many people talk about going abroad. And that was to adapt to another culture, another language, which I didn't pick up very well. But another way of football changed my whole outlook on football completely. Not only did you not pick it up very well, you started to speak your own lingo with a non-Yorkshire accent yeah, and a bit of no, Dutch. Do you remember that that, that press conference? That when... Pigeoned English, yeah. Funny, me and Joey Barton always joke about that. When, yeah. I, when I worked with Joey at QPR, <laughs> when he, he said, my French was better than your Dutch. 
but yeah, the, you know. and then your hair is another one, of course, that they all got out. I'm going to get these out of the way now. And Thank you very much. I thought this a... would be absolutely pleasant. No, yeah. it is going to be pleasant because because it's a real insight. But, I mean, you know, and look, you look, you look, you look fitter now and happy and contented and well. And know you, but you know, that, again, does that make you laugh or do you get really annoyed about? No, it? that makes. I have to talk about the island on my head and the kids kill me about it and. So that's always that's always been. Uh, the, don't mention the uh, the brolly too much, but certainly my hair they've killed me with that, and and fans do obviously from behind, and and <laughs> it does me. I can handle it when we're winning. When we're losing, it just it just adds to my temper. Oh yeah, but you know you've said you you're now a different person. You know the old red mist would have come down with the red hair in the past, but now it's a. It's nice coloured grey and it looks terrific. Thanks very much. No, I mean Thank that. you. I mean that. <laughs> Stop trying to be polite. <laughs> oh, dear. No, but I think, you know, I mean, all of these things. I mean, in the end, if, if they're still talking about you, you're still important to them. And that's what's, in, that's what's important as well. I mean, in, in their ways. I mean, the England job and being a manager, I mean, it's one of the toughest jobs in the world. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, people say it's not brain surgery and this and that. But as an individual, and again, as somebody who's, who was so interested in the, in, in the psychology of things as well, this is an incredible test on any individual, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and it certainly wasn't. Wow. You know, people say, you know, Oh, about the pressure of going for the title in Holland and the pressure of this, pressure of that. I said, no, I said, so, it was nothing as pressurising as that job. But and wherever you walk into Yarm or wherever else, nobody can take away from no, you that you were England, no, no, England no, manager, think, and that's the pinnacle. Yeah, and I think, you know, someone got me, I, I won the Dutch League and someone sent me a, a mug and uh, on it was the roller coaster king. He used to call me the roller coaster king because that was my my life was either up or it was down. Mm. It was never kind of in between. And mm. he said, "There you go again. You're up, and no doubt we'll see you going down uh, very soon." I have a sense then after that, with after twenty, and then it's Wolfsburg Forest twenty again, and Derby, Newcastle Derby again, and Queens Park Rangers. That you'd grown up working with players, working and having the choice of the players to work with. And then all of a sudden, the, the the modern way of managers being treated was, unless you get it right in 10 minutes, you've had it. And that doesn't help somebody who's a coach as well as a manager, does it? No, I, I think, you know, the game has changed. You know, Steve Gibson's perfect example. He, he could have sacked me three times in the first year. He could have sacked me another twice in the second year. And before we won the cup, another two or three times. Because we had really bad spells. And really bad signings, and you know, and and even my fall season, you know, people, I I couldn't get out of the stadium once in my fall season. I, in, that was my last season. Well, they but, they were waving. Didn't somebody come and try and attack yeah, you with no, a season ticket? Yeah, okay. threw the season ticket at me. I thought, blow me net, but he always stuck by me, and I'm always grateful for that. Wish there was more of that in today's game, but. You've, you you know, and maybe, you know, it's my fault because I'm, I'm a coach, I'm, you know, so I'm always... I, I love the grass. I love working with a team. I love building a team. I love coaching a team. And I love seeing the result on a Saturday and then starting all over again. Mm. That's been my format since I was a player when I was 10, 11. And it's continued all the way through 58. So... Very difficult to get that. Mm. I think that's my strength. Do you think now you would be a better coach than a manager? 
or do you still think you've got that ability to to combine that? No, I still think I've got the ability to combine that. But I think what's and you will understand, and I'm and I'm looking, and and a little think of that and say, well, what what's in the future? And and my inspiration for that is is Jim Smith. I remember going to his funeral and and Jim and and remembering Jim and. He took me to Derby when he was 58. He'd been working on the League Managers Association, Which retired. Is very close to your heart as well. Yeah. Mm. And so I went, he was 58. What did he do? Used his experience and got young legs around him to do the work. Absolutely. And, and Sir Alex, I was with Sir Alex. He was 57. But if you Dis- remember, you were in line to get that job and then he decided to do another 11 seasons. Yeah. So he, he was going to retire, yeah. which is why I moved. He was 57 years old. Yeah. And and I always remembered him saying, well, what are you retiring for? One, get out of the house. Two, you're still young. And three, you're still healthy. So get out and work. And I thought, I am, I'm 58, yeah. young. Yeah. I know my hair has gone grey, which you've, you've... It's still there, though. Some of it, but I've still got the island. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to grow it. And I think I'm healthy and I'm young and, and still at heart. And I'm not pigeonholed into I'm just a manager or I'm just a coach. No. So my experience is... It's a difficult one as well because you'll want to come back in now and, and have a have another crack. But when you choose... I mean, I, for, for me, looking at the ones that you did after that, I mean, you, mm. you did a Queen's Park Rangers job where... Um, basically, there were so many managers that you you walk into a dressing room with five different sort of factions already, and some of them who don't want to be there, others who think that they're lucky they are there, and I, I don't know how you start that sort of job again unless you're told I've got two, three seasons. Well, you are told that, <laughs> um, yeah, and and that was interesting because I knew I just had to survive the first the first season. And that's what all managers have to do mm. to get enough results to do that. And and I thought, and it's proved right. And they were, and they they had a plan. Everybody out on long contracts, big contracts, after five years, they've done that. I was in that last year. Um, couldn't sign a player because mm. we're embargoed. And, and so we just had to survive. And we were surviving after a bad start near the playoffs, then we drifted down to mid-table, then we had a bad month where we didn't win, and we were always going to stay in the league, which was... And then this year, all the players would have gone and kids would have come through, and that's what's happened. And I didn't survive it, and that really disappoints me. I've I've had a a few disappointments, but that has really disappointed me because... You know, and I had the same at Derby where we were planning for the next season... And I had a, a meeting with the chairman and we're talking on the Thursday about next season, the signings we're going to make, what this team needs. And by Sunday, I was sacked. And I thought, yeah, I wish I'd signed them players in January and not save the money, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. So, you know, it's... Yes, you want to go back in. Is there a right situation ever to go back in? Never is in football, I don't think, nowadays. But you love the grass. I love the grass. I love the team. I love coach. I've I, I bumped into Roy, Roy Hodgson, another one of my inspirations. 72, still going. 
when he was 58, he was in Viking in Norway when he was 58. When he was 60, between 60 and 70, he did Fulham, Liverpool, West Brom and England. So the best years are ahead. And I take, I look at them and say, well, they're using their experience and they've got young legs around them. And I've what I've always thought of uh, about you and the way that you've done it is that you, have, again, have not been afraid to go and ask. I remember Sir Bobby Robson was somebody that you counselled as well, of course, who helped yeah. you a lot. Bobby lived just up the road and, you know, he set me off really on the Newcastle one because he, you know, look at that picture, St James Park. He said, you ever get the chance to go and manage that club? He says, do it. He says, do it. And that always stuck with me. So when that came up, I had the only one, I thought, I've got to try that. You know, rightly or wrongly, I've got to try that, yeah. which I did. But Bobby we used to have lunch and he used to tell me all sorts. Yeah, it was great. Mm. Great. And what a legend. You know, been abroad and, you know, stories out of Holland about him. Fantastic. Yeah. And of course, he himself as well knew that, that when even he was the England manager early on, there were, there were journalists who just wanted to get rid of him. Unbelievable. Yeah. Nice I've seen that documentary. Yeah. Well, you know, there's always another comeback, and you mentioned it. It's a roller coaster of a journey. The great thing about the roller coaster, though, Steve, is that when you get to the end, if you're given the chance to get back on and you love them, you do it. Thank you for sharing your journey. Oh, been a pleasure. With and, uh, been a fantastic host, apart from my hair. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Sports, my sporting life with me, Mark Saggers. Thanks for listening. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify for more top talk sport content. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.